Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope that this sermon will guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org for more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning once again. I'm Pastor Corey, the Associate Minister here at Orange, and as we settle into this new normal, we recognize that it requires an abundance of grace and patience and uh, gratitude, and so we are so grateful that you have gathered with us this morning to worship, not only with us as the church, but with, with each other in community across all of these forms of technology. So thank you for being here. As you know, last Sunday was Mother's Day, and my two-year-old Ephraim and my husband Tiagin knocked it out of the park. They did a great job. Ephraim took a three-hour nap, which was the greatest gift of all. And so after uh, we celebrated and spent the day together, uh, Tiagin and Ephraim went up to bed, but I was feeling pretty restless, and so I had stayed up. And about 10 o'clock, I texted my own mom and made sure she was awake, and when she said she was, I called her. And you see, I, I really miss my mom. She lives in Williamsburg, and although it's not that far of a drive, it's hard to get up there, especially when you work weekends. And so I wanted to catch up and to see how her day had been. And as we talked, she told me she was doing a puzzle and she'd had a really nice day. And I just felt compelled to tell her some Mother's Day things. Like, I'm so grateful for you and you're so important to me. But after we chatted for a while, what kind of came out of my mouth surprised me. And I think it kind of surprised her. I said, Mom, I'm really really scared that when you're gone, nobody will know who I really am, not all of who I am. Because you see, my mom is the only person for my entire life who has had enough space and grace to let me change and to keep loving me. She has never given up on me. I honestly think she's the only human who knows my true heart, all the parts of it, because she's been present for all the struggles and successes, all of the mistakes. My husband knows a lot of my heart, but not all of it. My best girlfriends, they know parts of me intimately, but again, they haven't been there through it all. I mean, I, it's strange to think or to comprehend, but I wasn't, I'm not the same person I was five or 10 years ago, and I won't be the same person in five or 10 years. I believe there's this great beauty in knowing someone for a season, but there's a strange humbleness and gratitude that comes from people who have seen you at your worst, who have seen you make mistakes and stumble, and yet who are still standing on the shore, making you breakfast, which is the setting where we find our passage this morning, Jesus making his disciples breakfast. 
Maybe you have someone, a sibling, a spouse, a parent, a, a childhood friend who you feel this way about. I, I have my mom. Someone who's not given up on you when you faltered and who has had the patience and grace to watch and witness you transform. That patience, that grace, that transformation is what we discover in this conversation between Peter and Jesus this morning. In this last chapter of John's gospel, we see the ways that Jesus makes space, offers grace, and breathes transformation into Peter's life, not just in this encounter, but through the entirety of their journey together. Peter is a very important figure in the New Testament. In the Gospels, his name is mentioned over 200 times. All the other disciples combined are mentioned less than 50. Peter helps us to better know who Jesus is, and Peter helps us to better know who we are as followers of Jesus. Pastor Adam, as he mentioned, started this story last Sunday, and he talked about this scene on the beach and how the smell of the charcoal fire must have been a reminder to Peter of the worst moment of his life, his greatest failure when he denied knowing Jesus by the fire the night before his crucifixion. In John's gospel, Peter not only denies knowing Jesus, he denies his discipleship. When the crowd asks in chapter 18, aren't you one of the disciples, one of his disciples? It's a different question than asked in the other gospels. And Peter says, no, I'm not. We don't know exactly what happens to Peter after this all happens, but we know that he's not mentioned as being present at the crucifixion. We can only imagine why he's not there. There's shame and fear and perhaps an inability to watch his best friend suffer. There are so many possibilities, but We do know that Jesus finds great comfort in the presence of his beloved disciple, John, there as Jesus entrusts the care of his own mother to John. I so wonder how heavily not being there must have weighed on Peter. Not the moments of his life that he'd like to be defined by, I'm sure, And this conversation that we encounter in John 21 that Pastor Adam read for us, it confirms for us that because of Jesus' grace, love, and patience, and refusal to give up on us, those moments don't define Peter's life. Instead, what defines his life is this calling that bookends Peter's role in John's gospel. Those simple, beautiful, yet hard words follow me. The words Jesus shares with the disciples as he calls them in chapter 1 are the very same words that end our passage this morning. Follow me. It's amazing to think that the very same words that begin our journey of discipleship for Peter's, for Peter and others and even ourselves, they never 
change. They continue to whisper in our ears, no matter where we are on the journey, at the very beginning, in the middle, or even near our earthly ending. The call doesn't change. And that's because Jesus doesn't change. But Jesus does change us. Jesus doesn't change, but Jesus does change us. And Jesus does change Peter. Transformation and growth are at the center, at the heart of discipleship. Peter's and our own. And Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, they allow our failure to be forgiven, just as Pastor Adam shared last week. And that forgiveness meets us with an opportunity for transformation. With Jesus, Peter here in verses 15 through 19 gets another chance to answer three questions. Or one question asked three times. Peter, do you love me? And this time, when he's faced with this question about who he is, about what his life will reflect, Peter gets it right. Peter does not get it right the night before Jesus' crucifixion. But, and I want you all to hear this, that doesn't change what Jesus does or who Jesus is. Jesus still goes to the cross even after Peter's denial, and he still overcomes death. And because of the depth of that love, which Peter experiences in his encounter with this now resurrected Jesus, Peter's different. Peter is changed. And Peter receives the grace to answer these three questions once again because he now knows in a new way, a way that defies and defeats death, that Jesus' love for him is bigger than his failure. And that there is still space for Peter to react, not in fear or out of shame, but for Peter to declare with boldness what he's always known, but that he's sometimes been too scared to say. He replies all three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus does. He knows everything. He knows Peter's heart. He knows who he is, who he's been, and who he will be. The entirety of who he is. And I don't want know if you caught it, but in this passage, Jesus calls Peter Simon, son of John. In the very first chapter of John, Jesus says to Peter, you, Simon, son of John, you are to be called Peter. You see what Jesus might be doing here? He's throwing it back, way back. He's recalling and renewing this relationship that started three years earlier. He's saying, I've known everything for all of your life when you were Simon and now that you're Peter. Jesus has always known who Peter is, the good, the bad, the confused, the scared, the self-righteous. But Peter has to now decide who Jesus is in his life. Do you love me, Peter? And Peter does. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. 
But what I think Jesus is trying to help Peter discover is that Jesus isn't asking these questions for Jesus' own sake because Jesus' love for Peter and Peter's status as God's beloved child don't change based on how Peter answers these questions. What is at stake in Peter's answering is who Jesus is to Peter and what that answer will mean for the rest of Peter's life. These answers will forever change. They will forever transform the trajectory of Peter's journey because as he answers, yes, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus responds with some implications, some directions, with action. If you love me, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep and feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then be my hands and feet in this world. Be my presence. Do all the things I did while I was here. Love people because I first loved you. Heal and tend the broken even when it's inconvenient and unpopular. Seek out the lost because I sought out the lost. Choose to advocate for those who have no advocate. And show grace, Peter. Show so much grace. Jesus knew Peter's story, the self-righteousness, the denial, the betrayal. And he still came back to him and for him. Jesus' love for Peter does not change, but it changes Peter. When I think about Peter's story, his past, his journey of discipleship, the ebbs and the flows of it, and the fact that Jesus defies all worldly expectation to not only give Peter a second chance, but a tenth chance, an infinite chance for all we know. I think of one of my very favorite stories, a story you're probably familiar with that's been made into movies and even a Broadway masterpiece, Les Miserables. The story of a man named Jean Valjean who spends 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving child. After he's released from prison, he has no re uh, resources, so he takes refuge in the shelter of a church, and there a bishop befriends him and invites him into the church, in to warm himself by the fire, gives him something to eat, a place to sleep, an ear to listen. And Valjean, knowing that he has nothing to his name, cannot resist temptation. And after everyone is asleep, he takes several pieces of the bishop's silver and he flees. He's caught by the police and dragged back before the bishop. The bishop knows what Valjean has done. His act of thievery, his act of betrayal after hospitality has been shown. Yet when the police say, we caught this man and he claims you gave him this silver, the bishop says, Valjean speaks truth. And not only that, he got up so early this morning to leave that he forgot these. And he picks up two silver candlesticks and hands them to Valjean. He dismisses the guards. And then he looks at Valjean and he sings these words. He says, but remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. 
You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood. God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. And what follows is that Valjean is transformed by this act of grace, this act of mercy, this act that sets him free. By the bishop who Valjean thinks taught me love, called me brother, claimed my life for God above, for I had come to hate this world because this world always hated me. Valjean chooses another way because the bishop who knew his sin and held his fate in the palm of his hand showed him mercy and love instead of rejection, hate, and judgment. The bishop knew the worst part of Valjean and believed that redemption and resurrection were alike. Valjean receives that second chance, that grace, and he takes it. Jesus knew the worst part of Peter, and Jesus knows the worst part of us. And at the very same time, Jesus knew Peter's heart, and he knows ours. He knew what Peter's life could look like if lived for Jesus' cause. And so Jesus calls Peter once again to follow me, not because Peter deserved it, but because Jesus made a way through the cross and through the power of his resurrection. Jesus breathes life into us, every part of us. Jesus' love for us never changes, but it should change us. Jesus' call when we answer that question, do you, do you love me? It bids us to go and be the presence of God in this world so that others may be raised out of darkness, given a purpose, and be able to boldly answer that question for themselves as Peter did. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I do. May we be changed and transformed by Jesus' unchanging love. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, your love never changes, but we pray it changes us. God alone, you know who we really are, the good, the bad, the in-between, and still your love remains. May the grace of that truth cause us to follow you, to be light in the world, and to be your disciples. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online once again at orangemethodist.org. Thank you.